Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we can find it on page 1423 in your pew Bible. Revelation chapter 20. And we'll read the entire chapter. Our text will focus on verses 11 through the end, 11 through 15. Let us hear God's holy word, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Christ, to Jesus and for the world and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. We'd like to also hear what we confess. 
regard to Lord's Day 19. Lord's Day 19, here we have this what we have a summary of the confession of the Church of All Ages in, in two things. One, the session of our Lord Jesus Christ and also His uh, coming again to judge the living and the dead. Question 50. <clears throat> Why is it added that Jesus sits at the right hand of God? Answer. Because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. Question 51. What profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us? Answer. First, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly graces upon us his members, and then that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Question 52. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? Answer. That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. As far as confessions, Lord's Day 19, the Heidelberg Catechism. And dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, There was once a village of, or actually a small city of Martinique, and they lived next to a volcano, an active volcano, a smoldering volcano named Mount Pili. And they sent representation, representatives up to this mountain to see what the condition of this mountain was and how active the volcano was. And those representatives returned and gave a false report, saying there was no concern that the volcano was going to erupt anytime soon. And the city slept on. Nature all around the mountain took warning, the snakes slithered away, crawling down the mountainside, birds left their nest, the cattle and sheep fled for their lives, and finally Mount Pili belched forth her volcano fire and swallowed up 40,000 people in its path. The warning never came. Today there are many also who give false reports about the coming of Christ again to judge the living and the dead. And today we 
And each Sunday afternoon, we confess that Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. That's a serious thing to contemplate. When we confess that Jesus has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God in His session, in His power, in His glory, there's a note of triumph, a victory, as we saw in His ascension. But His coming again should give us a solemn, serious thought as we confess it. And yet at the same time, this solemn, serious thought is is really unparalleled in glory. We think about the glory of Christ's resurrection and His ascension into heaven. But how much more glorious will His coming again be? Yes, it's serious, it's solemn, but it's unparalleled in glory. And that's really what you see in Revelation chapter 20. His coming again as you see the the world against His anointed and against the city of God, His bride. And there He comes and He devours the enemies with fire. And he takes the beast and the dragon and he casts them into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. That's unparalleled in glory. And what we see in the rest of Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, is also unparalleled glory. The great white throne of our God. I'd like to look at this with the theme Confessing Christ's Second Coming. The great white throne reveals, first of all, Christ's glory. Secondly, His justice. And thirdly, His sentencing. The great white throne reveals Christ's glory. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and Him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. What glory. When you think about the word glory, what do you think about? Sometimes people identify the word glory with wondrous, maybe. We had a wonderful day. We had a glorious day. And, and it's filled with fuzzy thoughts and emotions. And, and that's something glorious. You know what the, the biblical word for glory really means? It means heavy, weighty, serious, solemn, And no wonder Christ's second coming is unparalleled in glory. Glory. 
Not because of necessarily the great white throne, but because of Him who sat on this throne. So glorious and so weighty and so solemn that the heaven and the earth, all that God has It's He who sat on this throne is who's glorious. And He who sits on this throne who is glorious makes the great white throne glorious. And I saw a great white throne and Him who sat on it. That Him is God. They stood before God. As we read in Verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. He's sitting on this throne in all of His majesty and all of His glory and all of His radiant attributes are shining forth. His justice, His holiness, everything about God is shining forth from this throne. It's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet when we look at Scripture specifically, we know that Jesus Christ is the, is the person whose work is given to Him to judge the living and the dead. Matthew 25, Jesus Himself says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. The throne of His glory. Jesus sits on it. In John 5, He actually even says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Acts 17. We read that He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom He has ordained. God has ordained the Lord Jesus Christ even in His human nature, united with His divine nature, to be the judge of heaven and of earth. And He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. It's a personal throne that Christ is exalted to sit on in His position in glory. And the glory of this person and the glory of his throne is so weighty that the heaven and the earth, they flee away. There's a gravity to this throne. Seriousness. And we all know that seriousness to some degree, don't we? I think especially in times of loss of loved ones at a funeral home or at a funeral. You meet all kinds of people. 
And as a pastor, you're not only in, uh, ministering to the family who are part of your congregation, but you're ministering to, to people from all walks of life. And one thing I've noticed, especially in funerals, is that we have come to understand something of that. Maybe in our own circles, maybe, maybe sometimes a little bit too much, maybe sometimes we, we should be more confident and so on. But, but especially when you are around unbelievers, people who don't know the Lord and they're faced with death. They come face to face with the reality of mortality. And there's a gravity to it. And there's a seriousness to it. There's a weightiness to it that they, they really can't comprehend and they don't know anything about and, and they're struggling with it. And what do they do? Well, oftentimes what you find a person like that doing is trying to say something funny. Or not knowing really how to talk and they have kind of a high-pitched laugh and, and it, it, it just comes off wrong. I've witnessed it countless times. It's because they don't know how to handle the weightiness. Of life and death and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a glory to it. There's a glory to what this throne symbolizes. The judgment of God. There's a glory to it when you have to go before a judge, even in an earthly court, because you know that that judge could change your life depending on the sentencing. There's a sense of right and wrong and justice. But how unparalleled is God's judgment on this throne? One who judges perfectly. The Lord, we read in Psalm 9, shall endure forever. He has prepared His throne for judgment. And He will judge the wicked. It's the negative aspect. But the positive aspect is this. He will also judge the fatherless. He will judge the widow. He will judge the oppressed. He will judge the persecuted. His judgment will be perfect and right. And we know that because around his throne in Revelation chapter 4, there is a perfect order. And all are ordered perfectly around his throne as the elders stand before the throne. But here in Revelation 20, the focus is drawn to him who sits on the throne, who has perfect judgment, unparalleled judgment. For he is an unparalleled royal authority. He is that king who is set on the holy hill of Zion as we find in Psalm 2. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of God and who is making all of his enemies, putting all of his enemies under his footstool according to Psalm 110. He is the judge of judges. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has final authority. Even as he says to Pilate, You wouldn't have any authority unless God had given it to you. Yes, there's an authority also, even in in our land, 
We have the Supreme Court of Canada. A court to which all the provincial and, and, and all of the governments uh, have to give an account to and, 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 and go by. Each district and provincial court must answer to. And, and indeed, the Supreme Court of our land is supreme in our land, but it's not supreme in the world. And certainly not when we know, when we confess Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God, ruling over all things, including the Supreme Court of Canada. His throne is supreme over all. He is king. And his authority is final. His throne symbolizes his judgment, his authority, and and his honor. Jesus says in Matthew 19, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is a place of honor, of dignity, a place that has been reserved for Jesus Christ, the ascended King. And there in Revelation 5, we hear the host of heaven singing and praising him, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, the Lamb, forever and ever. And this throne is great. It's a great throne. Because this throne has the power to summons people from every jurisdiction of this world. From the beginning of time to the end of time. From every square inch of this world, of this universe. He has power to call and to summon to his throne. There is no one who will ever be able to dodge this summons. Sometimes people can be summons to appear in court and they skip the country or skip the jurisdiction. But there's no fleeing the jurisdiction of the Lord Jesus Christ because He has power both in heaven and upon earth in the whole universe. And that power is a great power. Second, not only is it shown in the fact that the, that the heaven and the earth flee away from his face, but, but also in the very fact that we find in Second Peter 3, verse 10, that this day will, of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will all be burned up. That kind of power. And on that day, And that jurisdiction that knows no bounds, there will be this great gathering. As we read, I saw the dead, small and great. This great gathering will come. And all the nations will be gathered in. And there he gathers before his throne to divide his sheep from the goats. throne is great because of its jurisdiction and its power, but also because of its 
holiness. It's a great white throne. There's pure holiness on this throne. As we find in Psalm 24, who would ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who could stand before this one who sits on the throne? Because it's pure. And so therefore, he who does so must have clean hands and a pure heart. Has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. The four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4 declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The elders, they cast their crowns before him who sits on the throne. All heaven is praising Him who sits on the throne. For no one else was found in the whole universe to be able to judge righteously and to open the scrolls that we find in Revelation chapter 5. But He who sits on the throne, who is holy in righteousness, holy in glory, in victory, Isn't that what we find even in the chapter before in Revelation 19? The Lord Jesus Christ comes as that one who's riding on a white horse. He's pure. He's holy. Notice, notice with me verse 11 of chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had written had a name written that no one knew except himself and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. This is He who is victorious, riding on that white horse. And when He comes again on that white horse, or when He comes again to redeem His people in that holy city with fire from heaven, He will come in His glory. for the whole world to see. It will be visible to all. Not a one will be able to avoid this throne. And the throne indeed is serious. It's sober. It's weighty. It's glorious. But even more weighty and glorious is he who sits on that throne. Because it's with him that each one of us will have to do. We will have to give an account to him who sits on that throne. And as we do, we see in our second point that great white throne of judgment reveals Christ's justice. It reveals his justice. Notice verse 12 again. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. There's perfect justice. There's a finality and authority to this judgment that that brings out the perfect justice that comes from this throne. You know, as, as pastors, as elders, as judges in our land, or whatever kind of judgment anyone might give, there, there probably isn't ever an absolutely perfect judgment. We're human. And sometimes we might judge people based on what we see and and we don't know exactly what's in their heart. But he who sits on this throne judges absolutely perfectly. And therefore, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is saying to us, you might judge in one way or judge in another way, but, but I'm going to tell you that narrow is the road unto eternal life. And there may be some who think this person or that person might be in heaven, but, but on that day many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, haven't we known you? Haven't we done this? And haven't we done that in your name? And Jesus will say to you, I have never known you. Depart from me. My judgment is perfect and glorious and just. Because it's, it's based on the all-seeing, all-knowing eyes of God. That's the basis of this judgment. The books were opened, he says. The books, what are those books? Well, the first book that could be opened would be the book of God's remembrance. Malachi 3, verse 16. That book of his remembrance, that he knows all things and that his eye searches everywhere, even into the very depths of our heart and in our minds. He knows everything we've thought. He knows everything we've said. He knows everything we've done. And it's perfectly recorded in his book of memory. It's absolutely perfect. There's nothing hidden from his sight. It's a perfect record of his perfect remembrance. The book of God's law is open. And the book of God's law is opened and our works are compared to the very law of God. And indeed, what a positive thing when we, when we read and we sing, blessed is the man that cherishes the law and delights in the law and makes it his meditation day and night. Because God then remembers that person who delights in his law and rejoices in his law. But he also remembers the works of sin that are contrary to his law. And he says, cursed is everyone that does not continue in the things written in the book of the law to do them. The book of God's law is open. 
The book of God's gospel is open. His gospel invitations and his gospel promises that have, that have gone out his gospel reminders when, when, he, when he reminds you of your baptism and what Christ has done for sinners such as us. And his remembrance of the times we trampled underfoot the very blood of Christ and all of those gospel invitations and we plugged our ears and went out of church as hard as we came in or even harder than we came in. book of God's gospel is open. Yes, to testify against us if we don't believe in Jesus. But also, the book of His remembrance is completely compatible with the book of His gospel. And He remembers the day in which believers have come to a knowledge of His only begotten Son. When their eyes were opened to the amazing truth of the gospel. And they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they laid hold of His righteousness. And they trusted in His sacrifice. The book of the Gospel is open. The book of our conscience is open. And as our, the book of our conscience is opened... And our innermost thoughts are opened. And his remembrance of them are opened. Then he delights to see his people who have sought to tune their consciences by the very word of God. But he also sees those who sinned against their consciences and hardened their hearts unto condemnation. The books are open, and he judges each one according to his works. Not one of them will escape coming before the open books, for the sea has given up its dead. Even the grave has given up its dead. Every single soul that has ever been created by God will stand before this throne and the books are opened. And yes, some to embarrassment and shame because they will not be able to answer a single word against all the testimony that God brings against them. And that day every knee shall bow before Him and every mouth shall be shut and there will be no replies against God, but only the reply that every tongue will confess that His judgment is right, it's perfect. And they will confess Him as Lord to the glory of the Father. But for a believer, what a day that will be where grace will be magnified as the very works are set before us. And Jesus Christ takes the very horrific works of sin and is reminding us by His grace that He has paid the price of them all. 
as he reminds us that his righteousness was sufficient. Then we as empty sinners will be filled with the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. For in all of our weaknesses we will know his strength. In all of our foolishness we will perfectly know his wisdom. And in all of our darkness we will see his glorious light and be with him forever. Those who have their names written in the book of life will know his sovereign and eternal unchangeable decree. You are mine. Come into the joy of the Lord. The book of life is open. The very basis for our redemption is open. And the fruits of grace will redound to the glory of God for all eternity. Can you live without such a Savior? when the books are open. Can you stand before this great white throne and he who sits on it without your name written in the book of life? On that day, you will not be able to depend upon your works and say, Lord, we did this for you and we did that for you. You won't be able to depend on your possessions. You won't be able to depend upon your privileges. No, today we're called to close with Christ who sits on the throne. Our eternal state depends upon it. Because He's coming again. Even though he's already sitting on that throne, today is a day of, of grace, but on that day when he comes again, there will be a great white throne and we will stand before that without any rainbow around that throne. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, we have a picture of this throne in heaven today where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. John sees this. What does he see? He who sat on there was like a jasper, a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. Now what's that, what's that picture showing us? That today on this throne, there's the backdrop of emerald. And we hope for a nice rainy day tomorrow or even tonight. And you know that because you look out and you might see the storms coming in and you see the emerald looking clouds and, and you look for a rainbow to remind us of God's faithfulness and his promise that he will never punish the world again with a flood.
in his mercy and in his grace. And as we look at him who sits on this throne, and we see in the backdrop the emerald clouds of judgment, of his righteousness and his holiness and his wrath against sin, there around the throne we see this rainbow because we see God's faithfulness. And we see him who sits on the throne is not only a judge but also a savior who is merciful and delights in mercy. And today is a day of grace where he welcomes those to come to him, to his throne, to do justice today. But Revelation 20, there's no mention of that rainbow. There's no rainbow. There's no mercy. You can't stand before that throne. With one more chance to repent and believe the gospel. Because at that throne, there is an eternal and perfect sentence distributed to his sheep and to his goats. That's what we see in our third point. That great white throne reveals his sentencing. Notice verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. That's perfect sentencing. And that's an eternal sentencing. And it's perfectly fit for every unbeliever. For every person who is against God and his anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is the very promise that he has given, even with our sin in paradise and our continual sin against him and our refusal to bend the knee to King Jesus today. Is that indeed we will die then and be raised to eternal death. The second death. To be separated from God forever. Separated from His love. Separated from His mercy. Separated from His goodness. Separated from His grace. Never to hear His invitations again. But only to have them testify against us again and again and again. Forever in the lake of fire. To be swimming forever. In his eternal wrath. That's the sentencing for those who do not know the Lord, who are not found in the book of life, but those who do know him and who are written in the book of life. Oh, what a glorious day! A day that will be unparalleled in all of history. 
where the final enemy will be put away forever. Satan, that dragon, and all of his helpers will already be there. But now all those who were also followers of Satan and the dragon will be there with them. And that final enemy of death and of the grave will be cast into the lake of fire, never to torture us again, never to confuse us again, never to cause us to fear again. Sin will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. The fleeting pleasures of this world will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. The earthly treasures of this world will be melted with a fervent heat to be gone forever and ever. Those who are found in the lake, in the book of life, those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who confess his coming, those who look forward to his coming, and can say, I believe that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead, will be with him for eternity. There's a weightiness to this every time we confess it. And the weightiness is this. Do you confess it simply as lip service? Or do you confess it from your heart? Do you confess it in truth? I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in everything he has done to merit my salvation. I believe he is coming again to take me to be with him forever. And in doing so, it will be just like the picture we saw this morning of Israel crossing the Red Sea. On that final Jordan crossing, his people will be ushered into the eternal promised land. But the Egyptians, who were following hard up to the Red Sea, they too wanted to cross. And as they tried to cross, you could see the wheels falling off their chariots. You could see them getting stuck in the mud. And there the walls of water of the lake of fire crashed upon them. That's a picture of Jesus coming again to take his people to be with him where he is, body and soul. Will you be among those Will your children be among those? Will your neighbor be among those? Will the person sitting in the pew next to you be among those? Do we really believe that Jesus is coming again? Remember that volcano? Would you be faithful? 
and warn the citizens of that city to flee for their life's sake? To flee to the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Amen. Lord, we confess your glory and the weightiness of your glory. But we also confess that today is a day of grace with a rainbow around your throne, extending mercy to those who come to you in faith and repentance. Oh God, draw sinners unto yourself and to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might see your glory even today, that they might know that the justice of God is satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he was sentenced for us unto condemnation so that we might have life forever. Be pleased, O Lord, to accompany your word into the hearts and lives of each one of us. So that when the day that the books are opened, the book of your remembrance, that this gospel message and your word would not testify against us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.